it's Charlotte here from the Edition Podcast. Thank you for joining me once again. This week, I continue my conversation with Chuck Joyner. If you missed the first part of that conversation, head back over to theedition.substack.com or scroll up uh, through the feed in your podcast app and you you can go back and hear it. We discussed a lot about NAB show, National Association of Broadcasters show, and what it was like to be on the show floor. And Chuck reflected on, you know, the things he'd seen whilst back at the show, the people he'd spoken to and so on. It was a hugely, hugely interesting conversation. And we continue a bit of that this week as well. But we also look at the digital media ecosystem more widely, um, how people are offering kind of podcasts and accompanying podcasts to different shows, for example. But first, of course, we talk about TikTok. This, uh, this TikTok element where, you know, there are some people who are using very elaborate setups and costumes and you know script heavily scripted sketches and all that kind of thing and they do very well on youtube and then there's sorry on tiktok and there's this very very informal element to tiktok as well where people are literally all kind of just waving their phones and walking around and chatting into their phones and that stuff can do really really well um and it's a i wonder if slightly we're going to see a a kickback to this kind of things you're describing actually and we'll see people don't want the highly professionalized setup. They want something a little bit scruffier and more real and, you know, see what happens. Okay. I, I, I can't help but dive back into podcasts for just a minute. Always, Chuck. We can always because... get very meta and podcast <laughs> podcasting on this well, I, I think we saw some of that in, in the earlier days of podcasting where people wanted, and, and it, and I don't mind telling you, it sort of drove me crazy because I'd be listening to a, a, a podcast I thoroughly enjoyed and you'd hear the host say, oh, just a minute, someone's at the door. And then three minutes later, they'd come back and say, yeah, that was the delivery man and I had to sign for a delivery. And it's like, okay, that just feels like you're just, yes, it's real. It's authentic. It's, and that was, those were the buzzwords when it all started out. Cool. And then it started to feel like they were, there was a disrespect to the audience or the audience's time. At least that's what I felt. That you know, okay, I want to hear what you have to say, but I don't care if you have to take a dog for the, the dog for a walk. You can't help it if the telephone rings in the background, but you certainly can take the time to cut, you know, a piece of audio out. Even if you say, I'll be right back, or just cut it and let it let it do a jump cut. And it's obvious that it's cut, but I know something was there, but I don't really care because it must not have been important. Yeah, I, I think that I think. The level of professionalization. If you actually listen to um, Esther Thorpe, she, who I've had on the show, and she talks about uh, kind of the publisher podcast awards which she and her colleague at Media Voices run, the thing she has regularly commented on is the growing uh, improvement in quality, sound quality, editing, you know, the production quality as a whole. And I think people do expect that, you know, our headphones are getting better so we can hear every little floor a lot better. Um, we know, you know, everyone's listened to Serial and know what things can sound like. People have built, you know, built on that high production quality that, you know, when we first heard Serial, that was quite a groundbreaking thing to have it produced in that way, like a traditional uh, audio, you know, a radio documentary. But now we put, we expect those kind of things and expect that level. 
and um, I'm now obviously going to have to spend a lot of time editing and producing this show to make sure it sounds perfect because otherwise <laughs> it will work. But, but, you know, we can tell and people do care. But if you're going to spend a lot of time listening to a show, you want it to not, you know, to sound pleasant, not to hurt your ears. And that that is important. So it's, um, yeah, it's really interesting to hear how this is being... I always talk about these things from a kind of often a creator standpoint or a business standpoint, but actually to hear about it at the industry level is really interesting to hear about, you know, the work that very big providers and are, are having to undertake to make sure they're not missing out on this very burgeoning bit of the, you know, creative broadcast economy is really important. Um, I, I do wonder as well, actually, and just before we wrap up, I'll ask you this. I wonder if um, the pandemic and the fact that people who had been used to going into a studio or an office and having a certain level of equipment available to them for all kinds of audio and visual things now suddenly had to do that from home. I'm not talking even about, you know, who was it? Jimmy Fallon that broadcast from home, did I say? You know, James Corden in a small setup. I saw lots of clips of um, late night presenters in America doing stuff. Um, I'm talking even about pundits who get called by broadcasters and used to go into the studio to do it, but are now often having to do it from home for whatever reason and really need a good camera or a good microphone to be able to be on air and get the appearance fee and make the name for themselves on, on broadcast or radio, you know, television or radio. I wonder if that kind of shift is being reflected in what you're seeing at NAB shows and in the industry more widely as well. I don't think there's any question. Um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw newscasters and everything, and they were clearly in their in their kitchen at home, and they didn't have the right lighting, and they put lights behind, you know, light behind them so that you couldn't see them. And of course, you know, the camera position was never quite right. Um, and, you know, eventually that then you'd get the side shot where they obviously somebody had hooked up a secondary camera and you see their laptop stacked on a bunch of books <laughs> on a kitchen yeah. table. Nothing wrong with that. You know, I mean, that's look, that's that's at least they were starting to improve. Now you see the things that are clearly remote from someone's home and they they figured it out. And so now they have a better lighting setup, or they have, um, you know, they have a better background or something that, you know, is is what you would expect from what they do. And so I think that it has turned everybody into a little bit more of a, of a production person of paying attention to some of that, instead of just necessarily being literally on air talent where somebody else worries about everything else. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. No, um, it's fascinating. So, you know, this, this show and the newsletter and so on um, covers all elements of this, digital media world and this really at all levels is coming into it um you know from streaming to being a pundit on a national news program it's really all the same thing in, you know to cross the same spectrum so it's really fascinating to hear about what you know how the industry it's is now we're going to dash off but was there anything else you kind of picked up from the show Pick when you were there, anything you've kind of seen in industry trends recently, Chuck? Yeah, there's one other thing I definitely wanted to bring up, Charlotte. I think I want everybody to pay attention to it because I think it's creeping up on us. It has been creeping up on us and we haven't really noticed. 
Um, and I'm going to take uh, Star Trek as the example. Of course for that. you are. Of course I am. Of course I, I am. I don't know why I did. I should have assumed. I'm but, sorry. But, but no, go with go with me now. It's this is not this is not speaking as a Star Trek fan, but as as someone who's interested in uh, the way things are happening. So Paramount Plus, you know, mm. took everything and and ran off and did their subscription service. But they aren't just producing Star Trek episodes that are, uh, in in my opinion, great. But they also are doing a companion show called The Ready Room. And this this multi-channel thing, I think, is catching on. And there have been, I mean, look, there have been fan podcasts for, and, and fan shows for years about things. But the quality and and now the big broadcast houses are starting to pick up on it that, okay, it, it doesn't cost nearly as much, obviously, to produce uh, an episode of The Ready Room as it does to produce but one of the main... But that is such a great name, by the way. Let's yes, just, let's is. just acknowledge that for the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, but but they are also recognizing fans want more of this content, and they're if if they aren't giving it to them, the fans are going to go out and create it themselves. And of course, so you might that, as well cash in. Exactly. I was trying to find a way to play to to say it uh, politely, but yeah, that's no, what no, it no, you to. don't. It's me, Chuck. You don't need to be polite. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, well, we we have noticed Apple doing this. In the quite, yes. you know, in more and more significant ways. So obviously we had The Line, which was an Apple TV Plus production. It was a podcast and then a TV show, a limited series on Apple TV Plus itself. Um, the obvious jump is the uh, John Stewart. The problem with John Stewart is an Apple TV Plus show, plus there's an accompanying podcast. Uh, For All Mankind has a accompanying podcast, doesn't it? This is a thing that all people who are making content realize has to be part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it makes sense because people, if, if you're a dedicated fan of that show, you want more and you, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to have the story itself. You want some of the behind the scenes you've come to like and care about these characters and the people who bring them to life. So it's, it's natural. A brief pause to discuss our sponsors, business capital providers. Could your business use additional cash flow to help it grow or just get through a temporary rough spot? If so, our friends at Business Capital Providers may be just the help you are looking for. They specialise in funding small and medium-sized businesses quickly without lengthy paperwork or strict collateral requirements. Go to bcproviders.com addition to find out how you can get funded for as much as $250,000 in as little as 72 hours. You must have been in business for one year and produced revenue of at least $25,000. It's quick and easy, a one-page application requiring six months of bank statements. Business capital providers give fast results with no collateral required. When banks say no, business capital providers say yes. Visit bcproviders.com slash addition. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show. The shows where these kind of fan-created content and now, you know, produce, production company created content is most successful is when, and I kind of think this, this word gets misused a lot, but where there is a community around a show, this stuff is the most powerful, isn't it? And so I guess if you're a Paramount, a Warner Brothers, a Apple, a whatever, HBO, why would you not want to cash in on that? Why would you not want to have own that community and and why would you not want to at least take a shot at creating that community 
when it costs so little because now you have the gear that we've talked been talking about all day yes. you don't have to have you know studio 1a set up um to go and shoot it you know you can you can start shooting something like that in a parking lot for heaven's sake you know yeah. or in the back of a van uh, i should say actually i listened recently to an episode of the rico media podcast with peter kafka where he interviewed bill simmons um, and obviously The Ringer, now owned by Spotify, a huge, huge, huge sport and culture outlet, multiple podcasts, you know, big website, so on and so forth. Uh, and he was, Bill Simmons was talking about in this in- interview, the kind of how the shock factor of, yes, we had to suddenly start making these podcasts from home, but also how quickly they feel they have to respond. So there was the NBA finals not long before we'd been talking, wasn't it, Chuck? And he was talking about how for their NBA shows, they jump on very quickly after the games are finished. Otherwise, it's too late already. People want that instant reaction. And, and that's the same whether it's, a, you know, a big episode, a season finale of a show. People want to react very quickly to those things. And so actually, as you say, having the equipment that you saw at NAB and we've been talking about allows companies of all sizes to operate, you know, more nimbly, more flexibly, but maintain the quality. And you, um, oh, Mr. Robot. There was there was a mm-hmm. companion show to Mr. Robot. So it's it's been sneaking up on us, I think. And uh, frankly, I'd forgotten about some of the Apple TV shows that you mentioned. I knew about the For All Mankind, but we're, we're into just what you said. There's a community. I'm part of the For All Mankind community. Um, I'm part, I was part of the Mr. Robot community, if you will. I'm definitely a part of the Star Trek community. Um, so that's where I'm going to go and hang out with people of like interests or like minds. But I might not be, and boy, I, I can't even call, name a show that I would not be simply because I just don't pay attention to them. Yeah. But somebody else does. And so that's their community. Great. Go and Well, there always it. used to be, you know, forums and those kind of things. And now people have the ability to produce original content as opposed to just ranting or raving in a forum, don't they? Amen. Amen. And it can be so much more interactive because yeah. now it's not that big a trick even to do, um, well, we, you and I both have participated in things where there are chat rooms. So the audience can definitely throw things at the participants and get an immediate feedback or immediate reaction to them. Yeah. And, you know, some take this, take it a little bit farther and do call-in shows which is always dangerous because unless you have somebody vetting things, you never know who might show up on the air with you or what might show up in the air. Um, but yeah, all these things, the, the door is wide open now. And I, I, I encourage folks to go a participate and be, be a creator. If you want to be, if you think you want to try it, see what happens. Wait, wait, just to wrap this conversation up, actually, when you left Las Vegas, I won't ask about the casino bill or the bar bill, but when you left the actual show, at NAV, did you did you feel kind of uplifted? Did you think the future for what we like to do was quite bright and people were responding to any? We we you know did it feel positive as you left? Oh, absolutely, Charlotte, absolutely. But I'm not I'm not sure I'm the best person to ask because I always feel energized when I leave those shows. It's because oh, well, yeah. I've never spoken to you in a grumpy mood or at any point, so I you know. <laughs> Yeah, but you you go you you you're talking to creative people that are doing through things that they are passionate about, and that passion flows through. You can 
you can tell when you go to a booth, you can tell who's there just to man the booth and answer your questions or the people that are really into what yeah. they are showing. Those are the booths that you want to want to hang out at and spend time with and, and learn, learn from these people about what they do. They, it may not have anything to do with anything I'm ever going to do, but you want to hang out with them and, and talk to them and absorb that passion. Well, we certainly have drawn hearing your passion for all things in the creative economy and, and the world of broadcasting. Chuck, thank you so, so much for joining me. Um, where can people keep up with your work, people keep up with Mac Voices and so on? Uh, the best place to start is macvoices.com. That's where uh, pretty much everything links off from there. We do Mac Voices Live Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, whatever time that is, wherever you are. And, of course, if you're in the U.K., it's kind of late. Sorry uh, about yeah, that. Yeah, this is why I thought you would – I think you do it deliberately, so I can't be on. Oh, no, no. I've, I'm still going to find a way to get you on. There's no question about that. Um, and and by the way, though, if you uh, aren't in a time zone that lines up with that, those shows end up in the the regular Mac Voices feeds eventually. So you're not missing out. Um, you're missing out on the fun, but you're not missing out on the content. Um, and pretty much on all the social media services, I can be found as at Chuck Joyner or at Mac Voices. Charlotte, it is always, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you so much for coming on. I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on the Twitters. Obviously, if you're listening to this in a podcasting app you know where to find podcasts and where to get podcasts but if you're listening on substack you can find this show in your favorite podcast app just search for the edition that's a double d uh, or the edition charlotte henry and it should be there in apple podcast spotify and so on and of course if you're just listening to the podcast please do join me on the newsletter as well that's the edition.substack.com there are you know, extra special treats for paid subscribers, but there's free options as well and seven day free trials and so on. So I do hope you'll join me there and actually be part of that community. So thank you once again, Chuck, and I'll see you all next week. Mm-hmm.